Welcome back to The Table Women, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. I'm Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. It's season three, and we've got so many wonderful conversations and creators of all kinds to share with you. You know the drill. Pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone is welcome and everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you. Don't, don't let them stop Stop you. Don't, don't let them stop you. All right, welcome back to the table, women, guys. We have a special episode. We're just going to hang out and have a conversation about something that we have talked in snippets about in a lot of our episodes with a lot of our different guests and even more behind the scenes, which is what's going on with Gen Z and these younger generations. I'm part of Gen Z. I'm also on the cusp of um, the last year or so of millennial and have a little bit of both sides. And we've had a lot of conversations about the differences in the industry, in creativity, um, socially with everything that's been going on in the world the last couple of years. So we thought we'd just kind of have a conversation about it. And for anyone who's been wondering um, and trying to understand a little bit more or any younger generations that want to feel heard, we've asked uh, Victoria's students, um, we've asked TikTok artists and, you know, Gen Z and people in the industry. We're going to keep it all anonymous, but we're going to use those things as jumping off points to have a conversation. Yeah. So I'm not qualified to talk about this because I don't fall into that category, <laughs> but I am qualified to talk about it through my students. So yes. yeah, definitely collected some feedback from them. But um, Sarah, you're going to take the lead on this because I, I mean, you're living it. So you know. <laughs> yeah. And I think the whole point is too, I don't, I, I don't even think you're not qualified, maybe not to speak on the experience <laughs> of it, but certainly to have the conversation because you're in the trenches as a creative and as That's someone true. who's educating the younger generations and yes. seeing these things I remember when you first first started being a professor you hit me up and were like hey can you send me some songs that you love and we talked mm -hmm. about like TikTok song trends that were blowing up and you're like can you explain this context to me and I think that's the number one thing that every person of the younger generations is hoping for is just to have people who are the gatekeepers of the industry and the gatekeepers of our education and in a lot of ways our business and our money and our futures just care and want to under understand yeah. because it's really complex and there's um there's a lot of the you know millennials millennials are killing the diamond industry and the straw industry and gen z is so sensitive and all these things but it's it's um both a lot more complicated and not as complicated as it seems. Yeah, so and it's a very different uh, environment for yeah. you to be in than it was for us coming through. So um, exactly. definitely things are happening differently than they were 10, 20 years ago. So yeah. yeah. I think a great place to start is um, when we were talking about doing this, um, I hit up an artist I had recently written with. She's incredible. She's uh, She had her big break and she blew up on TikTok. And um, I asked her because we had written a song very recently, just a couple weeks ago, um, about her fears having blown up and gotten her start on TikTok um, because she felt like 
all of these people came out of the woodwork, even people within her family and her friends that were suddenly expressing how proud they were and how cool this was and all this stuff. And she was just so afraid that should this ever stop moving or should she fall off and not have another viral hit or release the song and have it not do well if they were all going to go away and if suddenly those people weren't going to be proud of her and the opportunities she was going to have were going to get rescinded quickly just because in the moment something didn't work out and so when I asked her she said the biggest thing is just that authenticity is lost and you need to know how to use your creative gut um she said she feels like as an artist you're almost encouraged to no longer trust yourself but to trust the algorithm Mm -hmm. and if it doesn't look on your socials like you are having crazy success um people don't care and people won't take a chance on you and it's almost like the views and the hits are what makes your song good or not as opposed to whether or not it's actually good and she mentioned you know the Beatles like if that was a thing with the Beatles we would not have any of their music because you know when you're getting off the ground when you're first getting started when you're finding who you are when you're playing shows you don't immediately get five million hits occasionally you do but that's very rarely the case and usually it's not sustainable so I think that's a really good place for us to start because that really encompasses the time that we're living in right now and also a lot of the quote-unquote scandals and different trends that are so quickly cycling out and that the music industry is trying to latch on to but oftentimes with the wrong intentions if that makes sense what do you think yeah absolutely um my students had a few things to say about this i mean we talked about how TikTok culture has definitely cultivated a shorter attention span. Mm-hmm. Um, and we even teach about that now in song structure. Are you going to have a pre-chorus? Probably not in a TikTok song. Are you going to have a bridge? Probably not in a TikTok song, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, and popularity of the song, of, of music seems to be very much based on TikTok culture now because labels are looking at those numbers in order to de- decide who to sign in many cases. Yeah. So um, the students were expressing frustration about how, you know, we have to cater to this short attention span. Even if we don't want to write for that audience, even if we write for a different audience, we yeah. have to cater to that because that's the filter that we're trying to get through. Um, so you know it's about grabbing attention off the bat not so much for the long haul it's not Mm -hmm. so much about you know listening to records in their entirety and absorbing yourself in them it's now about singles the constantly stimulating adhd two-minute stimulating responses (laughs) so yeah yeah and i think that's a perfect place to talk about how that manifests not only for smaller artists but bigger artists and how I think the industry gatekeepers are so quick to be like, that can make us money, let's shift everything in that direction. And they latch onto it as an end-all be-all, not a tool in your toolbox. And that's when you get both having these people blow up on TikTok and having labels be like, let me sign you, let me sign you. And it can either be the best thing that ever happened for your career or the worst thing, people can get signed off of a hit and not be ready to sustain that and have everything 
and the rest of their life owned by a label or they can really be ready and have put in the work or just be one of those people that's inherently ready and it can be amazing but Mm -hmm. not just with younger artists and newer artists but with established artists Um, we were just talking about Sam Smith and his song Holy which he wrote with Kim Petras and it blew up on TikTok because they posted the chorus them dancing to it in the studio when they wrote it and it went insane and insane and everyone stitched it and people covered it and it was just going crazy I still hear it all the time but the label was trying to be in a lot of people's opinion super greedy and they kept on pushing back the release date to get to milk more and more out of that and then by the time it released everyone on TikTok was making videos like I'm so sick of this song we don't even care that you release it anymore we're over the chorus we're over it and then when it was released everyone was like these verses are not that great they're Mm -hmm. not as great as the choruses you could have made this song so much better and there's all of the the tide very quickly changes when you attempt to push something past its natural breaking point I guess Mm -hmm. and the generation's that grew up on social media intuitively know and feel when they are being marketed something when Mm -hmm. someone is trying to push something on them um we are so attuned to it because we grew up with it it really changes the perspective and so even with established artists that are being forced to do this it can really turn very quickly not in your favor yeah labels have been um (laughs) Labels have been kind of traditionally very slow moving. They've been, mm. you know, a, a little bit dinosaurish. No offense to my label friends, but I mean, <laughs> it, the the way that uh, it, that they have sort of traditionally behaved has been uh, slow moving planners, second guessers, make sure it's absolutely going to make money before you do anything, and yeah. which is really inconsistent with how fast moving TikTok and social media happens. Um, Viral videos happen like overnight. It happens so fast. And so I've seen a lot of examples of labels getting in the way and messing up opportunity Mm. for artists who are, you know, maybe new on the label, uh, young artists who are savvy and have somehow, you know, taken advantage of or created a viral moment for themselves. It's like, come on label. They've done, they did the same thing with television reality shows. You would see artists that would um, complete a reality show uh, potentially win it or come in the top 10 where they were, you know, okay, we need to have material out now before mm-hmm. everyone forgets about it tomorrow and the next they go on to the next thing. And yet labels would push it back and push it back and recut it and try to find the, the change the song and da, 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 until all the momentum was completely lost. So I think that's a pattern that we yeah. see quite a bit. Um, but also the other thing that that you see a lot now is that there are a lot of business people who are running things that may not necessarily have the musical education or the musical risk-taking gene where they're just they need the spreadsheet to show them they need the culture to show them that something is going to be successful so that they'll take a Mm -hmm. risk on it and um, when you have gatekeepers at labels or radio or wherever that are behaving this way then they are no longer being the tastemaker 
workers that they traditionally were. And instead, it becomes an industry that's chasing its tail in a way. And I think that we're seeing a lot of this happen too. And so the the jumping on top of TikTok artists and trying to sign them and trying to monetize that, whether it works or whether it doesn't, is really an indicator of, I think, an industry that is just kind of trying to figure out where the money is a little bit more than trying to figure out where the creativity is or where the art really is. So exactly. um, there were a couple students that were talking about, you know, if you meet people in the industry, they look at whether you have a following or not before they look at whether you have raw talent and material. Yes. Um, in social media in general. And um, also, you don't typically send music to producers. Now it's headshots. <laughs> it's it's really? about aesthetic more than talent. Um, so that was actually, a student was referencing a, an article in The Guardian that talked about that. So wow. yeah. I have never come across that. And that is so scary because behind the scenes, I've had a lot of lot of conversations with creative friends, but also people, publishers and label A&R and PR friends um, where there are definitely people that are well known within our community for their aesthetic and popping off on different, you know, social medias. But I've heard m on multiple occasions from different people bringing up those people being like, but their writing is not that great and their voice mm -hmm. is not that great. And they know how to monetize the aesthetic, but the raw talent and the creativity that pushes things forward and creates sustainability isn't there. And so what do you do um, when that happens? It what just popped into my mind thinking about this, if you've ever seen the movie Idiocracy, yes. um, it's kind of like that. It feels mm -hmm. like it's just dumbing down. And that is not to take away from the immense work it is to create success out of things because there's an audience for everything. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it really, the way that I see it and put it into perspective for myself and from what I've heard and seen a lot on social media is that the older generations, they see youth and youth culture as monetizable, but not respectable. Mm -hmm. And that is their downfall. Because like I said, with being marketed things, we also have been bombarded for so long with everyone thinking that we are disrespectful or lazy or whatever, that we are very attuned to when someone does not respect us, but also when someone does not understand us. And we don't have the gene of a lot of the older generations to excuse my language, but give a fuck. Mm -hmm. Like truly we don't because we grew up in the culture where every of bullying online and we grew up of people's, it doesn't, I mean, it matters some, but at least for me, even in the last couple of years, I literally could not care less if you don't understand why I did that or this slang word or why that works in K-pop and doesn't somewhere else because you don't understand. So why do I care what your opinion is mm -hmm. on what is working for me? Um, it also makes me think of, I wanted to pull this up while we were having this conversation, Katie uh, Grayson McLeod, I hope I pronounced that correctly. She had a song and she had the opposite experience of Sam Smith. She doesn't have a label, she's independent. Incredibly beautiful song. It was one of those like, people will remember this for the rest of their lives because people were just like stitching it crying. Like, why did you do this to me? Um, it was a song that she wrote called Complex and it blew up 
and a lot of people did covers of it and it was beautiful and she just went ahead and released the demo she's independent she's just you know and i think she got a a record deal out of it and all this crazy stuff but she did it right she just was Mm -hmm. like i don't even care that this is a demo and it's not polished people love it i'm gonna release it how they love it Mm -hmm. and i also feel the same way because sometimes songs blow up on tiktok as demos and then when they release the real version quote-unquote real version it's not the same and it doesn't hit the same and it doesn't it doesn't blow up so i wanted to call that out too because they're there is a beautiful side to that that lets Gen Z take the reins because the younger generations and social media is A&R now. So we also get to decide and labels would never let you release a demo because they were like, it has to be perfect. And for me, some of my favorite things are demos. And when I get something that's not not the demo or the song (laughs) that I heard, I'm so disappointed. I'm like angry. I'm like, just release the demo because I I need more than 60 seconds. Like I need the whole thing. There's (laughs) there's such a, um, there's a slick polish that you put on something when you recut it and you, you know, you you Mm. go in the studio, you spend all this, this time to make it perfect quote unquote but it's true there's magic in the demo a lot of the time and in its rawness and um that is not something that we've traditionally shared in the music industry it's been the polished final product so i love that it gives the opportunity for people to see that and to feel it more than anything Mm. um and and that it allows us to share those things with each other through social media and I think that the audience is a lot smarter than we tend to think they are when it comes to feeling things. Yes. I've been even told if they before, don't know you have why. To, yeah, exactly. Even if they don't know why. And I've been told before years ago, oh, you have to treat your audience like they're about sixth grade education <laughs> level. I'm me like, too. seriously, who are these people? It's, you know, it's people just like me out there listening on the other end. And I don't, exactly. I, I believe that they have a discerning taste. So I think it's cool that we have this way of reaching people now where that can prove itself in action and we don't have to get through people who are standing in the way and it's exactly the thing we've talked about a million times before of like chicken or the egg you know do people Mm -hmm. not like hearing women on the radio or do you just not play women on the radio do they not like ballads or do you just not play ballads it's it's like do they do they not like intellectual emotionally intelligent things or do you just not allow those through the gates because you're not 100% sure it's going to make money yeah Um, and I think we're seeing the proof in the pudding now where it does make money the fun stuff also makes money but people can have more than one taste for like you can like more than one genre you can be in a mood for something hard hitting and you can be in a mood for something that is literally two chords and the same line over and over mm-hmm. again and that's okay yeah. um I think, I think a lot of I mean in a, a lot yeah. of this conversation we're gonna come down to it's a double-edged sword there's amazing mm-hmm. things about it and there's horrible things about it and it's like you know like any technology electricity was probably the same way when it yeah. came around the you know the gasoline fueled car was the same way it's like uh, made the world amazing and destroyed it at the same time so so yes. much of, of of this technology yeah it absolutely enables creators and it puts power in our hands that we didn't have before and it also comes with a whole lot of baggage that's really difficult to navigate too so um i there were a couple 
things that my students told me that I'd yeah. love to know your your thoughts on. Yeah. I had one student that said um, when they post covers on TikTok, they tend to go viral but it's really, really hard for their originals to get any action. Mm. And it seems like being a cover artist kind of rules TikTok according to the algorithm at a certain level, at least. Have you experienced that or seen that at all? You know, I think yes, but I think it's a trend because okay. from what I'm seeing and experiencing is, is when it first blew up, and for people who don't remember this, TikTok started out as an app called Musical.ly. And it was a place where people would lip sync to songs and dance or do whatever. But it was mostly that. Mm -hmm. um, and then it got bought and rebranded or something. And then it you know, was out like that for a while. And then when 2020 happened, it really blew up. Um, so I think from its inception, whether or not people realized it, music was very much at the base of TikTok's foundation. Um, and early on, a lot of people would, it would go from lip syncing. And then when it got broader and bigger and it wasn't just a music app, um, people started getting really big for their originals and stuff. And then just like anything else, you oversaturate it. And then, you know, I, the example I use is, or the saying is like the pendulum overcorrects itself before it comes to a happy medium but that but then once it's at a happy medium it goes starts going bigger and bigger bigger again and then you got to overcorrect again so um i think what's happening now is there have been so many successful um viral independent songs mm -hmm. that artists independent artists as they should have been like "Ooh, i want to do my own version of this i love this mm -hmm. they do it it goes viral and then people see oh my god i don't have to write a song i can do a cover which is great <laughs> it's not a bad thing that you don't have to write a song do a cover mm -hmm. and you can make it your own um i think the band is called loveless um but they do um like incredible big vocal like emo not screamo screamo but that kind of vibe of um you know big songs and they did one of the sam smith's holy mm -hmm. and it went crazy um as did some other ones they they've had successful covers of other things um really insane their music is really cool and um you know, with Holy, it got so massive and helped push the original one to such massive success. But then they got a cease and desist from Sam Smith's label. Um, and only them, the other people doing covers that weren't doing as well, didn't get them. But only the one that was super successful. And they took all the proceeds of everything and all that. So again, it's like that you you so hit this success. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm and I think so, it'll swing back the other way. I'm so curious on the legality of that and how that works in the TikTok realm, in yeah. the social media realm. Because out in the world, the covering of a song doesn't give the label any rights you know it's the yeah the the original creators of the song once the song has been released to the public in mm -hmm. some format which requires a license from the publishers and the songwriters then whoever wants to cover that song 
is allowed to cover it and it's a mandatory grant of that license on the part of the people who release it. So the only way that there would be any restrictions that would give the label rights would be whether would be if um, someone covered the song using the original recording in some aspect, like singing along with it or mm-hmm. something like that. Because they own the master, yeah. but they don't own anything else about the song that would allow them to garner, you know, to yeah. garnish somebody's income from it. So I'm so curious how that worked and what the structure is in TikTok that allows them I to do that. I am as well. And I think a lot of these bigger companies are strong arming mm-hmm. artists because you don't have money for a lawyer to fight that. Yeah, right. I mean, do they even, even have a leg to, Do they have a leg to stand on with this exactly. cease and desist letter? Who and knows? Whether you fight it, I guess. My, I was wondering the exact same thing, and my, the only thing I could possibly think of is that he did the cover, to my knowledge, because it was blowing up before they released the song. To he and it was like guitar and heavy. It was not the same uh. track or anything. So they redid that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing I can think of is that they posted the video of them leaking the demo from the studio. So it wasn't official uh, release. But that so it has wasn't to, released. It wasn't officially okay. released by the label. But I'm gotcha. sure the label was like you know try and go viral on TikTok because other big artists have talked about their label trying to push them. You re- leak this on TikTok and try and make it go viral. But yeah. that has to have that has to count as a public release because you intentionally put that out. But yeah, then that's such I guess a gray area. You would have to if the laws argue yeah. in court because exactly. yeah, does it constitute first first release or not? Um, because exactly. if it does, then it's fair game. But if it doesn't, then yeah, the license has not been granted yet and the song is still protected from it, any covers. So yeah, yeah. wow. And again, I, I don't think that they you know, they don't have the money or the time and the ability to fight a massive mm-hmm. label. Yeah. And, you know, it's not the artist's fault that their label's doing this, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I feel bad for Sam Smith that that, you know, it peaked and he was forced to, you know, not yeah. be able to do that. Um, but I think it also, you know, it's it's so hard. And to, to your students' comment, I think it's going to swing back again, where now it's getting so oversaturated with covers. Mm-hmm. And some people made their career-breaking exposure by covers. Yeah. Um, some of some of them, I'm like, I like this cover better than the original. Thank <laughs> yeah. you so much. This is fantastic. <laughs> um, and so, you know, now so many people are flooding the market that it's, it's, you know, swinging back the other way. And I think right now we're at a point where it's that that happy medium of people are both releasing original songs that are doing well, but it's only a select few. You know, you don't mm-hmm. see the millions of people posting that get five views. You yeah. only see the ones that are going crazy. Right. And And then there are also people getting massive for covers. And so I think we're at that point where I think it's starting to probably swing back the other way. Yeah. Because... It's it again with a short attention span. You can only hear so many covers before you're like, oh my god, like well, please. Well, that leads me to another comment that was made. Was there was a student who said, I admit it. Looking at the numbers on a video will change my opinion of how seriously I should take the song. Yeah. So 
that's an interesting lesson in psychology right there. And there's a lot of that going on all the time in all realms of the music business. That's the, oh, other people say this is cool, so I better think it's cool too. I should yeah. take this, I should listen to this with different ears than, you know, than I have previously. So um, the I like to call it the emperor's new clothes syndrome, <laughs> which we yeah. see a lot of. Well, and it goes back to what you're saying about the headshots, because I admit early on, I mean, even before 2020, I fell into the pit of like, everyone seems to be posting about working with this person and mm. blah, 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 blah. And like, they, they talk, it's like high school. People are like, oh my God, I love them so much. And then I would be like, am I mean? Or maybe I'm weird because I had a really bad experience with them and they were like not nice and they were like kind of rude. Or I worked with them and their producing was not great and the product was like really janky. And I don't know why. And you know, and then I had this moment of like, and then I would talk to friends and we'd both do that look where you're like, are you going to say it? Am I going to say it? Are we on the same page? And then it, lo and behold, everyone was like, oh my God, yeah, I had such a weird experience too. Or like, mm. yeah, I always thought their stuff was kind of eh, but like everyone yeah. is going crazy. So I think it's, it's, you know, people love, a lot of people are sheep and we've all been herded and we've all been the shepherds at some yeah. point. Um, but it's one of those things where again, with social media and everything, it moves so fast that you can almost get whiplash from this because I've done it too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's such a weird thing. And I think that's a great place to, to go into also, you know, like there's the frustration of that. And then there's also the societal moving society and what's right and wrong Mm -hmm. forward and culture forward Mm -hmm. um, which is really uncomfortable in a lot of ways in the same way that facing your own psychology of like why do I do that why am I jumping on that bandwagon it's also really uncomfortable to you know have things about society be pointed out and people also jump on the bandwagon in a similar way when it comes to cancel culture yes. and speaking about things and again it's a double-edged sword of this is a very good thing and a very bad thing and the pendulum is just currently in my opinion overcorrecting things that have gone uncorrected and unregulated for a very long time yeah there's a really interesting marriage between culture and politics and social norms now that didn't exist so immediately in the past. We yeah. have the ability to immediately post in response to, our creatives can post immediately in response to political happenings, to, to what's on the evening news. Um, and that is both powerful and dangerous in a realm where cancel culture is a thing. You know, you're expected to post a lot in order to have, you know, a a successful platform in -hmm. social media in general. And therefore, if you're posting a lot in response to what's going on in the world, your likelihood of saying something offensive is higher. Yes. Um, And you have to also be balancing that with making sure that you're pleasing everyone with what you say. And, you know, people have, traditionally been creating art that starts conversations about racial injustice, that Mm -hmm. type of thing. That's our job. But now starting a conversation with your art can also be your death knell as an artist if you make a misstep or say the wrong thing. People didn't use to see your missteps and your mistakes immediately happen in Mm -hmm. with a big public platform, and now you make them publicly. Yeah, (laughs) and now we're we're better educated too on 
the who, what, when, where, why, not just the details of a situation, but also um, we are better educated as a society, as the younger generations, and not just going to school and getting degrees, but also we are a lot more willing to go to therapy. Like we've talked Mm -hmm. about here, we're a lot more willing to take a look at ourselves. We're growing up and living in a world that is post 9-11. I'm one of the last generations that was like, I think I was four when 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. And I, it's one of my earliest memories. And, you know, like we grew up in a world of school shootings and racial injustice in our face. And we are going through our most formative years with 2020 and all those police brutality and shootings and every single thing. And so we don't really have a choice on whether or not we are educated. There's a baseline education that doesn't exist with previous generations. Mm -hmm. And most of us care enough to want to further that education. And so that also creates a space where you have a lot of opinions, good and bad. Um, And with cancel culture, I think there's, you know, it's so trendy to be a part of it, um, which is a good and a bad thing. Um, It also is very, to what you're speaking about, um, the term, in my head just immediately went, people show their ass real quick. And and what I mean by that is um, one of the things I wrote down because it's currently going on is the Try Guys scandal. If if no one's on TikTok, I will briefly describe it. But essentially, the Try Guys are a group of four guys that started out at BuzzFeed in the like 2010s. They got really big for their videos where they're, you know, four guys try on women's clothes or try doing this for a day or get a manicure, like whatever, just men doing things that men normally don't do and trying different weird things. And they went viral. It was one of the first early things to go viral. They left BuzzFeed after a couple years, started their own company, continued doing that, built this massive um, platform on YouTube and podcasting and all this stuff. And every man has their own identity. And the guy who has branded him his entire identity and career around being a wife guy and wife and kids um, very recently, uh, come just in the last week, got uh, exposed for having been having a year plus long affair with one of their employees. And um, and, you know, it is such a, you know, people getting exposed. It was a, first a Reddit thread and then people were like, I have video evidence. I saw oh, them boy. here. I saw them at a concert and they were super weird. I was wondering why they were together. And then it was like, I heard from an inside source, you know, it's corroborating, corroborating. People are coming with receipts. People are making videos left and right. But also what you started to see was just any old person be like, um, the thing about the Try Guys videos and this, and they're just re talking about the same information because it gets views and because Mm. and I think as part of the younger generation it's really really easy to spot when someone wants their ego stroked and when they want to just be a part of the conversation to be a part of it and it's not a bad thing to want to speak on something we have uh you know free speech but it also becomes a an aspect of you know everybody 
speaking on something when maybe not everybody needs to (laughs) or maybe everybody has already said everything that is to be said Um, but there are also really interesting takes and so I think that's also one of the things that is very interesting about the psychology of this that is popping up because then you also get people weird weirdly being commenting and then having fights with random creators like why are you doing this this is so insensitive and then it's like at what point is this just absolute insanity and then Mm -hmm. it dies down and something else happens and but um the try guys had an incredible response they had found out before it, it leaked publicly and they had already done an internal investigation, fired him immediately. He was a co-owner of the company, so they took all the steps there and immediately took steps. They were scrubbing him from videos before it came out. They really handled it well and are a great, I think, lesson to people on how to handle that correctly because a lot of people and companies that happens to, they put out a generic, oh, I'm so sorry, I made a mistake. And then behind the scenes, don't change anything. This is case in point, the Adam Levine affair, him sliding into people's DMs. This happened within a couple of days of each other, Adam Levine first and then this other thing. And they are both pretty much the same situation, but the way that it was handled was so vastly different. Mm. Um, And it's kind of like the old way of handling things, the Adam Levine way of, I made a mistake and I love my wife and I'm doing better and you know then more and more people being like oh my god he's been doing this for years like look at my dms you know and then them where they immediately saw it before it was a public thing and took action before it was societally um you know under the magnifying glass Mm -hmm. and and so i think that is also a great example of how gen z holds people accountable and how cancel culture can be a good and bad thing it just kind of depends on whether or not you are willing to yeah take a look at yourself and handle it appropriately (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it is a powerful thing i mean we had the morgan wallen thing happen too so uh you know that's uh, it i'm not sure honestly how to feel about it because it's so powerful and it's good that people need to be held accountable yeah and at the same time i feel incredibly sorry for people who are held accountable that way um because it's just such um it's just such a complete experience of being eliminated (laughs) you know it's like you're eliminated from all your all of your business opportunities you're eliminated from most of your following you're eliminated from your social relationships you know there's like it's just in so many realms but then there's of course people who survive it and come out the other side and are fine uh usually white males but that's just me talking uh but you know it's very accurate talk (laughs) (laughs) very very accurate talk but I'm I am like I I'm not sure how to feel about it. I've had conversations about that with Mickey too because Mickey Guyton because she has said you know I don't believe in cancel culture either you know yeah. um, but something needs to be done to help people see when they've made a mistake and, yeah. <laughs> and they have to own up to it. So yeah, it's such a tough one to me. That's a yeah. tough one because we've I had think- some very negative experiences of cancel yes. culture um, with thinking back to the chicks. Back yes. when they were the Dixie Chicks, absolutely, and they were very effectively canceled right off country radio uh, for talking yeah. about their political beliefs at all because yeah. they're supposed to shut up and sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 
I think double-edged I, sword. Another, another, here yeah, we are discover, another, discovering another double-edged every, sword, every Sarah. Single, every single time. And I don't know if there's much in life that isn't a yeah, double-edged sword. But I think it's also, um, I think one of the things that Gen Z understands fairly well, at least most of us, is that it, it's kind of not a black and white thing as older generations tend to think of. Um, just like anything, I believe in cancel culture to an extent mm-hmm. and in, a, in in ways that help progress society and make things equitable for yeah. everyone. I don't believe it in the way of absolutely demolishing someone's life. Mm-hmm. Unless it's someone like a Harvey Weinstein. I literally yeah. do not care less. Yeah. Destroy right. that man. Destroy him. Demolish away. Uh, demolish. Uh, go. I will. We will all pay for the wrecking ball. Yes. Um, but, you know, I, I agree. But I think that's one of the things that's really hard to understand when you didn't grow up in the culture already. It seems so black and white and it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. And I think most younger people would agree because we've all also had our own experiences with being canceled in some regard, whether it's within a friend group, whether it's being a, an artist and having a song lyric taken the wrong way on TikTok, and then mm-hmm. people are on you for something you didn't realize you said wrong. Yeah. Um, or, you know, within you know, social situations, whatever, we've all had those experiences. Um, And so it's like that, but we are also so desensitized to all of this in the same way that like, it's so easy to tell someone they're fat and ugly and a bad singer online when you hide behind, you know, uh, an avatar and you have no views and you have no pictures and you can be anonymous Mm -hmm. in the same way. It's very easy to cancel someone and jump on that bandwagon and talk shit when you are behind a computer screen or a phone screen. And so we are also very desensitized, but I think it's not, it's not our fault. It's, it's more, we are so overwhelmed with things of previous generations with injustices and wrongs being exposed so frequently yeah that we are just like honestly it's it's a little bit like just purge it just purge (laughs) it and and it feels when you're in it when you're the person that made a mistake it feels your world is imploding and it's horrible and on an interpersonal level you can understand that that is a human being but on a greater greater social and cultural and justice level it's needed to some extent um and so again it's like where does that line be drawn into your your comment about you know usually white men there's a dialogue happening right now with the movie blonde about marilyn monroe um i honestly couldn't even tell you who the the men are that made that movie um but there was an article that i saw right before we hopped on to do this that you know because people who saw you know it got a standing ovation at at can and all this stuff and then people who see it even tiktok influencers and and um people they're like this movie is so disturbing mm. there are violent sexual assault scenes mm. there are horrible abuse scenes it is just depressing it is horrible we didn't need to see this woman yet again exploited and her story Mm. and her body and her talent and her legacy exploited like this it was unnecessary and it feels like a very 
aggressive, unnecessary, um, you know, thing to do. And meanwhile, lots of critics and these male filmmakers are being praised. But it's like the the article was like, these men were canceled during Me Too for (laughs) doing bad things. And now they have quietly made their way back on the scene and made a movie about one of the most famous women being over sexualized and violated and they did that graphically in the same way that yeah. um you know the new uh, prequel to game of thrones house of the dragon so many men online are like there's not enough sex and there's not mm-hmm. enough what where are all the like the rape scenes and they're mm-hmm. literally like where are these things that were in game of thrones and that were so heavily debated and I've been watching it. I'm like, I can watch this. I couldn't watch Game of Thrones. It was too emotionally devastating for me to watch all of that. And it is so wonderful. So I think to your point, like we are also like even the people that are coming back, if they are not deserving of coming back and they have not redeemed themselves, they're having a little bit of a second wave. And even if the older generations that are more tolerant of abuse and letting things slide are letting them back. The younger generations that are the tastemakers that will be in seats of power in a couple of years are not. Yeah, and I think that's line. we're in that weird shifting period where the yeah. gatekeepers are still seated, but they won't be for long. And so it's, it's kind of setting up uh, where we will be, hopefully. Same, I think, politically. Um, but what, what were you going to say? Well, Because uh, you had and, a point. Well, I'm just thinking, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of what cancel culture really is about is making examples for the greater good of society out of a few individuals. And it's Mm -hmm. true that when you see that happen to someone, you learn, you see what happened, you learn, uh, and, and then you go, ooh, yeah, I can see why that's offensive. Ooh, was there any of that in me? Mm-hmm. Ooh, you know? And so it's definitely whatever pain it inflicts on individuals, it definitely does something uh, to turn society, hopefully in a better direction, at least when it's, you know, yeah. uh, depending on what's what they're being canceled for but i think a lot of the time what we're seeing now is is that it is shifting things for the better and there is an opportunity for people to genuinely uh learn and adapt and respond in those situations and usually it's not handled very well um but yeah i that sort of leads me to the question of, or the topic of mental health and Mm -hmm. social media or mental health and specifically TikTok. Uh, I talked about that a lot with my students. They had a lot of things to say about mental health. Um, First of all, they were saying, well, there's an epidemic of young people who are basically saying, if I'm not a celebrity, then who am I? Yeah. You know, middle schoolers want to be a famous gamer, a famous YouTuber, an influencer. My seven-year-old has told me, oh, I want to have a channel on YouTube. And, I wanna... <laughs> and I'm like, seriously, where are you getting this yeah. from? But um, so this hunger for fame, this desire for fame and for following. And some of my students have said, I've had to ask myself, am I creating art? just because I want fame? Mm -hmm. Is it because I want people to love me? 
or is it for the love of the art, the love of the music? And, and because that needs to far outweigh the love of popularity or else you're in for a very rocky road in life. Yes. So, um, you know, it's, I have some students who said they don't actually have social media of any kind, mm. but they're feeling like they're under pressure to have it yeah. because they don't know whether they can be successful artists without it. However, it, it doesn't feel healthy for them. It's yeah. bad for their mental health. So that's why they're avoiding it. But they're saying, you know, if if I have to be the product rather than my art, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if I have to be on social media and, um, and be some kind of a product, I don't know whether that is congruent with what I believe about what I'm creating. So I think that's, you know, multiple incredible points brought up right there. And I think that is exactly the perfect conversation to have with one of the other points I was thinking about that I wanted to get your, you know, feelings about having seen so many changes. Um, Because I agree for myself, I have social media, I don't post a lot. Um, And I know that for myself, um, it doesn't feel good because I can get very like, oh my God, likes here and I didn't post this and oh my God, I hate how that angle looks on me or whatever. And I... I do my best work and am my best self when I am living for myself Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to that. And I understand. I was the kid that like didn't have Facebook, not because I wasn't allowed. I didn't want it Mm -hmm. until I was in high school. And I did it because I was like, oh, my God, everyone's on Facebook all the time. (laughs) And I literally forgot I had an account that my friend made for me when we were 10. I think I re-remembered when I was like 14. I didn't get a smartphone until right around my 16th birthday because I got offered my first pub deal on my 16th birthday in LA. And the first thing they said after we were kind of talking about that was, is that your phone? You need to get a smartphone and you need to start like using technology and social media that's why i got instagram um you know i i was like i'm happy with my flip phone i really don't care about social media i it didn't feel good for me um and i enjoy i love tiktok i love it i don't post i posted a couple things and i've taken them down because they i said what i wanted to say in the moment and i didn't Mm. you know want them up anymore um, not for a bad thing. They were like, you know, songs that I wrote in the moment. And then I was like, cool, I don't need this out there anymore. I got it off my chest. Um, and I didn't want to constantly be looking at how many views or likes or whatever, because it, it, the thing wasn't important to have those. It was important to say what I wanted to say yeah. and then be done. And also it wasn't aligned with my quote unquote artist brand. And so yeah. I was like, cool, if someone looks me up, they're going to see this, which is, you know, songwritery and emotional and also The thing that I posted was, you know, when we, when the shootings in Georgia of the Asian women at the massage parlor happened, Mm. and it was a song about that. And I was also worried of, you know, people not giving me opportunities because they saw I was so political. And that's not Mm -hmm. why I took it down, but I had, you know, and during the, you know, uh, the protests um, against police brutality, um, I got urged by friends and family and uh, industry people to take down some of my posts in support because, you know, and I did lose followers, but I don't care. I lost like 10 followers. I literally (laughs) don't care. What are 10 followers? I don't want you following me anyways. Um, And I took 
some of them down, but only because they had photos of the protests. And that was when people were mm. possibly going to be having repercussions against that. So I didn't want anyone's right. face there. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want that risk for anybody. Um, oh, that's, but That's an interesting, yes. that's a really interesting one, Sarah. I'm just thinking yeah. about like, so for me, I've also, I think I used to post more political stuff. I post political songs when I write them in reaction to something that's happened yeah. and they're just, they come out of my gut and I feel like they were delivered through me in a way and I just, so yeah. I post them. Um, that's one of the ways I process things. But um, I don't tend to anymore just post opinions because mm -hmm. I've found that it becomes too much of a headache to defend those opinions yeah. against the people who like to troll stuff like that. Yeah. And it's it's not that I don't, it's, I don't know, it's not that I'm scared to share them, it's just that I'm like, no, my mental health is too important and I'm not gonna put myself, yeah. put my head on the, on the chopping block that way for people to, you know, take aim at me. Cause I, yeah. it makes me very upset when I, then I get embroiled in something and then my husband will be like, why are you even doing that? I don't have yeah. to defend myself or have then other people jump to my defense. It becomes a big drama and it's just way too much drama. And yeah. um, so I've kind of steered away from doing that unless it's my, my art that just feels like the right mm -hmm. thing to do, you know, but um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. You're, you're also constantly exposed to opinions of all kinds yes. when you're posting your art. And yeah. so some of my students talked about that. You're constantly exposed to opinions and to also other people's art. Yeah. And so you tend to compare yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and they talked about how numbers dictate their sense of accomplishment not getting the numbers undermines the pride that you should feel yes. in creating your art. I've felt that and known that I felt that and felt shame for feeling that, but yeah. I was still like, I still feel that way. And I yeah. can't, like, it's it's a weird dichotomy of you know that that is, that the addiction to social media and that you've been trained to feel that way is why you feel that way. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that you don't feel that way. Yeah. And I love uh, I love how, I mean, how Gen Z is so aware of that and aware of our mental health. And I think that goes into what we've talked about before of like, we are so eager to do things like go to therapy and take a look at ourselves because in a way we don't have a choice. It's like eat or be eaten. Mm -hmm. And you have to make the choice to heal yourself, heal your trauma. Everyone has it, no matter how good your life has been everyone has been fucked up by something or someone at some point in time um and if you think that you haven't just wait you will see it eventually <laughs> and then you will probably have to deal with it eventually um and and so you know we're we're kind of getting that stuff done early but we also have more to process than generations before us mm -hmm. um and I love that your your students are so open about those things because it is absolutely true. And one of the things I wanted to bring up is if anybody remembers a long time ago, uh, 
during our Leslie Fram episode, I brought up this creator that I had just found and she she was like, I work in marketing and PR and I scout talent that are like YouTubers, TikTokers, but she was like, I'm also a spiritual person and I can physically see auras and I, I just, I can't help it. And she was like, that's one of the things that has made me so successful is I can see when someone's uh, gonna, you know, be famous or has that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I she randomly popped up on my feed a couple days ago, and I wish I could remember her name. I think her name is Sunny or something, but um, I didn't save the video. But she was talking about, okay, this is my prediction for where culture and TikTok and social media is going, because like we've talked about, the pendulum is is swinging so heavily in one direction. It's it's starting to overcorrect, and it has to. Um, she was like, I really believe like you're starting to see some influencers and big people do this. She was like, I believe that people are going to not have social media and not post as often because right now it's, you got to post stories and videos and content every single day, multiple Mm -hmm. times a day. You have to engage in the comments and it's it's unsustainable. And we've talked about that. We've heard that from creatives, um, already. And she was like, what's we're starting to see is people are posting like this is what happened this month for me Hmm. and you know maybe posting stories but they're posting collages of their month not every day or every week and stuff and that's what I tend to do Mm. um I get on bouts of where I like I have stuff to post so I post it and then when I don't I don't and she's like we're gonna start seeing that because it's unsustainable and also when you overexpose yourself when there's overexposure of you people get tired of you but there is also more to dissect more room for error that is unintended and also when you are so overexposed people hate you be just for the sake of hating you <laughs> yeah. and you know it's it's very much the same thing you were talking about where like um people sometimes they just want to be seen and heard and have an opinion and so they they will latch on to anything they can disagree with mm-hmm. or any kind of harm they can inflict and it's very much a hurt people hurt people thing mm-hmm. but that doesn't make it feel any better yeah. and so what she was talking about is is like you, we're gonna start seeing the pendulum swing in the other direction of people not posting a lot and, and when they do post it's more curated intentional content and um i think that's true there's also a new app called be real i am not on it i can't handle one more freaking thing oh, no. at the moment yeah. i can't handle <laughs> no one more, more apps, app please but it, it's it's very much following the pathway that tiktok did where it's a young generation thing i have mm-hmm. friends my age that are on it um but it's basically it's called be real and it's you know you can only post one time a day for a two minute span and so you get everyone gets the alert it's time to post you have to take a picture and post it within the two minutes and it's so you don't get time to curate it you don't get time to fix your makeup or put a filter on or pose Mm. or get to better lighting whatever it is and it also takes a double-sided photo so it takes your front photo and it takes a photo of whatever you are looking at whatever you're doing so um it's like facetime you know it kind of looks like that so you know that is an interesting example of that already starting to happen and you can see it in younger generations a lot of this early 90s uh, or this 90s early 2000s aesthetic of you know polaroid kind of thing like very casual Mm -hmm. because we are rallying against the the claim to you know 
people like the Kardashians and stuff where everything is photoshopped and it's beautiful and it's glamorous, but like unsustainable if you don't have millions of dollars and really bad for your mental health. So um, I, I agree with her and I've felt that for a long time that that is where it is going, but whether or not it's going to be sustained for very long is another question. That's so interesting. I mean, that's encouraging to me. I've, I feel like there's just, there's so much screen addiction just Mm. in society in general, but really among young people, it's an epidemic. Um, And it's really hard to watch people, you know, living their lives and with their faces in their phones and they'll be sitting right next to each other with their faces in their phones. If we're we're standing in a line waiting at the DMV, everybody's got their face in their phones. (laughs) It's just this weird culture. (laughs) It's like a world of robots right now. And, um, and you know, it's a, it's a battle as a parent to try and navigate that with your kids. And it's -hmm. it's like, okay, how much, how much pushback are we going to get on this? And how much screen time are we going to allow? But um, I remember seeing one of my relatives, one of my little relatives, who's a teenager who was just in his phone all the time. And I was hanging out with him trying to have a conversation and he yeah. was just in his phone the whole time. And I was like, I, I never see him, but yet he's in his phone and we can't even talk with each other. And yeah. I said something to my husband about, well, you know, it, it's like he's not living real life. And and my husband said, yeah, but what is real life? To him, maybe it's in there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's some real Matrix stuff there, it's but like it's true. The Matrix, yeah. And I think that's, I struggle with that. I'm not someone who who takes photos a lot of myself or like Mm -hmm. I like to take photos of things but I'm I try very consciously to not be on my phone but I have lots of loved ones who are and lots of people now where so many jobs are social media marketer PR like your job is on your phone I have loved ones who that's their job and even when they're not working they're constantly on their phone and I'm like, I haven't seen you. I don't know what's going on. We're watching a movie and every five minutes you're like checking your phone, you're on your phone. Um, and it's really uncomfortable uh, as someone who is not doing that. And then there's also this weird thing where I think because I call them out on it, anytime I'm on my phone, they're like, look at you, you're just as addicted as me. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not though. I'm, And we both know that I'm not, but mm-hmm. it's it's almost like a an ego thing. You, you know it and when it's uncomfortable that that is the truth, um, you like lash out and it's it's so interesting and I also wanted to say because you have young daughters and we're we're talking about this I think it's really important to call out the fact that now skinny culture is coming back in mm. full force with mm. the the 90s early 2000s aesthetics yeah. um, also with the Kardashians uh, dissolving their BBLs and their curves and now their aesthetic is incredibly skinny um, mm unhealthily so especially for how how quickly they lost the weight and this is a big discussion amongst you know especially on TikTok and Instagram but also just amongst younger generations because um, and I think especially my generation where we remember as someone who I am a curvy girl you know like I am a Kate Winslet in a you know Kate Moss world and I love it I love I love you know being that but it it was very difficult to grow up like that yeah. and I grew up you know with Abercrombie being like we don't want ugly or fat people literally in our store mm-hmm. and you know if you've seen that documentary you know if you haven't or you've 
you know, if, if you've lived it, you know, but if you haven't, go watch it. But, um, you know, I remember the struggle to just even like myself, not even just, not even love myself. Like, and, and it felt so good when like, high-waisted jeans came into fashion or when you could wear you know not tank tops and crop tops and stuff because I was like I just I don't have the body for that and even not like there I you know what I do have the body for that it's not where I feel comfortable yeah I love my body but I I don't feel comfortable with that much exposure and I think that is something that again double-edged sword is coming back full force in a way that like a lot of the biggest influencers and celebrities are pushing because you know thin is in sex sells you know all that stuff is very much coming back but also I will say with algorithms being what they are and stuff like TikTok where you can influence it with what you look at I and a lot of other people who have are really trying to be conscious of this have been really going out of my way to interact with content of bodies that are not size zero Mm -hmm. of you know of creators Mm -hmm. that are creators of color are plus size models or plus size normal people um uh, i go out of my way to engage with that content with content that is you know anti-racist and anti-sexist and all this stuff because if you don't it will leave your it will leave your page and Mm. not be shown to you because it's a self-sustaining cycle and it also will not get pushed out to the public because people don't engage and so I go out of my way to scroll past things that are too much of that thin is in you know everything's perfect aesthetic and I go out of my way to engage with and follow the things and Mm. keep that in my feed because if I don't the general public suffers by the thin stuff just being pushed, but also my mental health and my understanding of the world suffers because I am going to be constantly pushed bodies that do not look like mine. And I remember what that was like and it was not fun. So I also wanted to talk, like just kind of bring that out as your daughters grow older and for people listening, you do have a choice with a lot of these things, but you have to make the choice to engage with the content that is good for your mental health and that supports the things that you believe in. And I think that's something that Gen Z understands really well, but it's also something that they... Um, you know, they're just so young. I'm 25. I just feel like also the artist that we talked about at the start of this episode, um, she she was like, I just feel like my brain snapped into place. Like I put glasses on for the first time because your brain is fully developed. And I'm like, girl, me too. Mm-hmm. Like I, I turned 25 this year. I have never understood shit more in my life. Like it's crazy when your brain develops, like you can feel it. It's done. It's done cooking. And you're like, whoa, like it's crazy. So it, there's also, you know, youth understands so much, but it also is not your brains aren't fully developed yet and it's crazy so i think that's something to be conscious of i'm glad that you brought up the topic of like sexualization because Mm. we had a really interesting um bit of feedback on that from some of my students and so i have written down a few things about like sexualization of women and particularly about you know when it comes to being an artist or when it comes to being a creator so let me read you a few of these things they said so one of them said 
We're very social media and image based, so we seem to put a lot of weight on sex and the provocative use of the female body. It strips the authenticity away from the art they're creating. It's about how sexy do you look? How hot are you? Some people aren't going to reach their artistic goals simply because they don't meet the standard for skinny, beautiful, a 10 out of 10, which isn't even real. So I loved that comment. Um, Someone else said, what is John Mayer's brand being John Mayer? What is Dua Lipa's brand? She's Dua Lipa, but she's hot. And it has become more and more about her body. She's almost stripping and grinding on stage. So that's interesting. So there's like the expectation that's created of being provocative with your body as a woman. But then there's the other side of the coin too, which someone talked about Billie Eilish. And they said Billie Eilish was known for wearing boyish baggy clothes, and then posed for a Vogue cover in tight revealing clothes. And then she was attacked and shamed on social media for looking slutty. And in response, she released Not My Responsibility, which says basically I'm gonna do what I want. And she should be able to do what she wants. Yeah. Um, So again, double-edged sword we're talking about here. Over-sexualizing, you know, hearing your your students' comments, it just kind of snapped into perspective that that kind of over-sexualization of just women yes. in the industry, again, because it is not equal. Like you said, you know, men, men mm-hmm. can, who is John Mayer? He's John Mayer. Men can walk the red carpet in jeans and a t-shirt, but, you know, God forbid a woman dresses down mm-hmm. or doesn't wear like six-inch stilettos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the kind of thing where when you over-sexualize everybody in that category, you'd leave no room for autonomy for them because you leave no room for them being like I am being sexual because that is I feel sexual and I want to be that way yeah you leave no room for someone to be like I am not being sexual because I don't want to be sexual Mm -hmm. you are forcing everybody into that and completely cutting out incredible talent if they don't succumb to that pressure um so it's it's so sad and it also is such a a sad thing for you know feminism because there's this whole discussion about you know like women should be able to wear whatever they want but then that gets appropriated very often by straight men to be like yeah be sexy sleep with whoever it's like you do that when you want to do that but not everybody wants to some people want to cover up and you know and then you get the people if if you're sexy and you want to be sexy that are like that's so unladylike no man wants that you know the andrew (laughs) tates of the world and you know with what's happening in iran right now with you know every young person being quite literally targeted and murdered if they speak out against this and i saw a woman I wish I saved her video, but it like refreshed in the middle of it. Um, She was speaking about what the world doesn't understand about Iran is that the older generations were murdered. And Mm. so the younger generation is Iran. It is the entire country because the older generations don't really exist. So when you are killing the younger generations, you are wiping out your population, Mm. period. Um, And now they have, you know, trapped students in their university that is similar to our Harvard and have started murdering students. Mm. Um, And so, you know, that also, there's such a bigger 
ripple effect of all of this within the world than just what is or is not cool on social media and we're seeing that in real time and we're also seeing social media be used to spread awareness about something that in past would have absolutely successfully been swept under the rug yeah that's true Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. there are no undetected parts (laughs) of society now yeah absolutely crazy but i mean that was a very heavy way to, I think, <laughs> it feels like a natural conclusion, but very heavy. Well, um, I mean, we could talk about this for hours. We, we yes, really could. We There's could. so much to it. And um, I really appreciate you bringing this to the table. To the table, literally, Aww. Sarah. Because um, I just think that, I mean, you have an interesting perspective on this and you're working with a group of artists who are experiencing this firsthand, um, the struggles and the challenges and um, everything that comes along with the social media thing and the TikTok thing. It's a a real deal right now. It's a big Mm -hmm. part of how you find success and how you find your audience. And and as we talked about, labels are often waiting for you to do that for yourself before they want to jump on board. And so it's like, okay, what you used to have a whole team help you do, now you're supposed to do yourself before yeah. we will create your team. But um, I'll be curious to see how it evolves, because it will. It always mm-hmm. does. But it's uh, it was fun to talk about this, and it was really fun to get feedback from the students on it, and eye-opening yeah. as well. Your students had some amazing comments. I hope you guys continue this conversation, yeah. and for for everyone listening, I hope you have these conversations with people in your life, especially if you're in the entertainment industry, and I, I hope that if you found this helpful, you share it with someone that maybe doesn't understand the younger generations as well, and may, maybe has some some barriers to that. Um, because I think if, if anything, through doing this podcast and having these conversations, we've found that a lot of the issues just stem from feeling othered and from not Mm -hmm. understanding. And there's nothing wrong with not understanding, but you do have a duty to try and educate yourself. And so hopefully this can be helpful for some people. And message us. Yeah, message us, let us know. Questions or comments. We would love to hear them and we would love to, you know, potentially address them in future episodes as well. Absolutely. And there will be more things to talk about as the world evolves. So maybe we'll be all talking about Be Real in a year from now. (laughs) Here comes the next one. (laughs) I know. It'll it'll probably be gone by then. And there'll be something else. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for for listening with us. And we we will see you back next month with another episode. See you next time. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeForest, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on... The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you. Don't, don't let them stop. You.